0: Uh, Father, we are grateful that, uh, that you love us. We're thankful for the gospel. Uh, we know that life is full of challenges and, and difficulties and unexpected situations and, and even um, seemingly bizarre behavior, um, difficult behavior like what we see in obsessive compulsive disorder. And uh, so we just, we want to humble ourselves because we need your wisdom. Uh, we believe that you're sufficient. Uh, we believe that Jesus' power is uh, what we need, and, and that you really, truly are um, what we turn to for for every situation. And so, guide us, help us to be wise about what we talk about tonight, and whether or not we have or have not had experience with this particular need. That you would build us up and 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 grow us in a humble confidence in in Jesus and His work. Guide us now as we talk in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, w- would you turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 37? Do you like Psalm 37? I do too. I want to. I want to anchor what I'm going to talk about with just. I-, I want. I want the the background music of Psalm 37 just sort of. Ringing in your ears as we talk about OCD, um, because you know there there are chapters in Scripture that just paint in beautiful colors spiritual health. Um, What does the sufficiency of Christ look like in a real person who's leaning on the everlasting arms, as the great hymn would would recite? Um, Look at this. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way or because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. And do not fret. It leans only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. And yet, in a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. We'll, we'll stop right there. The whole psalm is awesome, but that gives us a sense of it. Oh, to rest, trust, cease, delight, in the Lord, that's spiritual health. That that that's that's as good as it gets. Um, as, as everything is, and and I, whether whether it is OCD or something else, whatever you or I struggle with, if that's not our our struggle, how we need to lean on Him more. And and as I think about working with those who struggle with obsessive compulsive tendencies. I just keep coming back to that theme. Um, to lean on him is the remedy for many struggles, isn't it? And and of course, we don't say that like, you know, some sort of Christian t shirt motto or we understand that leaning on Christ more and more in every circumstance is a robust, comprehensive, daily war. (laughs) Right? So, I I say that because sometimes we can talk so much about the problem, we forget where we're going. This is where we're going. Uh, Not just for OCD sufferers, but for all of us. Okay, so with that in mind, uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you have worked with somebody with obsessive compulsive tendencies? okay, maybe six of you okay um, Brent Osterberg and I uh, over the last few years we, we've had a plethora of cases, particularly on the religious OCD, which sometimes is called scrupulosity. I know Brent has uh, taught on that before and and the last couple of weekends has presented and then I've had a, some recent uh, just a, a of recent cases in, in the past few years, mm-hmm. so we're kind of working together to put some material together and that's why we're we're doing this to try to to bring uh, something that's a bit more comprehensive to a topic that, that very few biblical counselors have written on. So for those of you that, that have have ministered with somebody, you kind of know where we're going. if this is brand new to you, I want to do just a little bit of overview of OCD and then we're, what we're really going to talk about in this hour is is two of the biggest struggles that you're going to face in ministering to people with OCD tendencies, and that is the issue of certainty and the issue of introspection. Okay, so uh, let's just do a review here, okay? OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder, is a cycle of both heart and behavior. That's what it is. And it is characterized, as the name implies, remember these... Psychological labels are descriptive, right? They're they're just... It's a label that describes certain behaviors or certain tendencies. So obsessive-compulsive, naturally we have obsessions. Those are intrusive, unwanted, persistent, reoccurring thoughts that fuel fears, creating mental distress and anxiety that is so strong the person pursues relief through, you guessed it, compulsions. And those are repetitive behaviors, rituals or mental exercises designed to bring relief from the distress created by the obsessions. Does that make sense? That's what we're talking about here and probably some of you are, or most of you are probably familiar with that in some way. Uh, Mike, uh, and then secondly there, OCD is a hopeless cycle. When we talk about the need for hope in the session, uh, OCD, just everybody needs hope. We get that. And, And we're always trying to minister hope. Everybody needs that. OCD sufferers, I have found, need a a regular and ramped up dose of biblically derived hope for their situation because this is a very, very hopeless and a very dark cycle to be in. While the compulsions sometimes bring temporary relief, the relief does not last. Often new obsessions arise and past compulsions become less and less effective. Most importantly, the heart cause behind OCD is unaddressed. Um, In in one of the, the... Cases, cases that I was involved in. It was interesting that um, so so there, there's the current uh, intrusive thought and then the current ritual that that my counselee was struggling with. He'd make some progress with it, and then a few weeks into it, the intrusive thought would morph, and it would set him right back to where he was with a new compulsion, and then he'd make some progress, and then the intrusive thought would morph, and and it and it was we got to the point where Part of his homework assignment was to be ready for his intrusive thoughts to morph that week and to do what he knew how to do. Because every time it would happen, it was like, oh, this is a new enemy. And, it, and, and I use the phrase with him, you need to unmask this thing. It's like they walk in wearing a different mask, but it's the same struggle. It's the same fear. It's the same ultimate issue. So that's what happens is you know, if they get some you know, progress in one area, it tends to change. And, and, uh, and come at it a different direction. Uh, Mike Emlett, uh, this just came out uh, in 2019, so it's relatively new in the Journal of Biblical Counseling, which I would recommend to all of you. Uh, you can get subscriptions. That's produced by the uh, CCF folks. Uh, called Scrupulosity When Doubts Devour. He's got a really helpful uh, diagram here, and, and you know the, my obsessive-compulsive disorder with diagrams, so naturally I'm going <laughs> to have this here for you. But this is helpful to see. If you've never been exposed to this, this is a great way to picture it, okay? So just, we start at the top. Sometimes there's some situational trigger. Sometimes there isn't, but usually, initially, there is. The person has an intrusive thought, and and the intrusive thought might be, um, what if I left the stove on, or I left the door unlocked? The intrusive thought might be, Maybe I missed cleaning a part of my house today and there's still SARS-CoV-2 virus you know, swirling around and my kids are going to get sick. You know, maybe There are all sorts of intrusive thoughts, right? Uh, the intrusive thoughts in scrupulosity tend to be of a moral nature. A person may have a thought of raping somebody or of committing blasphemy or, or hearing God say, you are condemned forever. And, and, and that being real to them. Um, so, so their intrusive thought, they evaluate that thought, because obviously, you know, we evaluate it. Um, they determine that it's dangerous. That produces distress. Uh, Dr. Emlett calls it anxiety, and I want to I nuance that in terms of anxiety, because he's using anxiety a little bit more broadly here, but it definitely is anxiety. Um, compulsive, and and then they turn to the compulsion, right? I I get up and I go check the doorknob, I check the stove. uh, Okay, I I look at my stove and, uh, okay, the knobs are all in the off position. I don't smell gas, I don't see fire. I get back in the bed and I go, maybe I brushed up against one of the controls on my way back. Oh, no. Right? And it just, and it goes back. Okay, there's decreased anxiety, but then another intrusive thought comes in and it just repeats itself. Okay, so does that make sense? And I would commend that article to you. It's at the end of your notes there. Uh, Very helpful. Okay, and and essentially, when we talk about OCD, there's essentially five types and you can remember them with these labels. Checkers, washers, organizers, obsessors, and hoarders. And this is going to get in some of your kitchen, just so you know. (laughs) But uh, take courage. Uh, These get in my kitchen too. So Uh, Checkers. Now notice... Notice the common denominator. OCD is all about fear. All about fear. And so I, in, in explaining these different types, I, I'm trying to frame it with some biblical language and some biblical categories to help you. You will not often read it like this, it's certainly in the secular literature, but, but, but see how fear is the common denominator. Fear of potential dangers, the stove left on, the door left unlocked, the danger of someone coming in or the house burning down. Washers fear things like germs and dirt or getting sick. Side effect from vaccinations. We'll just throw that out there because that's real too. Organizers fear of unorderliness. I don't even know if that's a word. Microsoft Word told me that wasn't a real word, but it's a real word because I'm using it now. Um, Fear of unorderliness. A picture frame that's crooked. Items in refrigerator that are out of order. Um, This is the fear of something being out of place the way it's supposed to be in my mind. And what happens is, in all of these fears, a person's well-being gets hitched to the wagon of the fear being absent, right? So when I'm confident the door's locked, the strove is off, I'm confident the house is clean, I'm confident everything is in its place, then I go... Ah, I can relax until a thought pops into my head that maybe I wasn't perfect in eradicating the fear and now I'm right back into it. Um, can I, can you see that we all probably have a little bit of OCD in us? Maybe it doesn't meet, meet clinical, you know, diagnoses, but we all have these tendencies. We're all creatures of habit. We all have fears. We all have preferences. And in a fallen world, we all tend to link our well-being to circumstances, don't we? Or to our sense of how things ought to be. That's not unique to OCD. That's unique to fallen humanity, is what that is, okay? So checkers, washers, organizers, obsessors, these are folks that are fear doing something wrong. This is this is guilt-driven fear, right? Fulfilling a horrible thought. I, I have this intrusive thought that I raped somebody. Ah, I don't want to rape somebody. I don't ever want to do that. Is that me having that thought? Is that? Is, am I really capable? I, I don't want to be capable. I don't ever. And see, that's it's the fear of fulfilling some something wrong that has popped into their mind, or or being dishonest. Sometimes it's. Even this is interesting. Even when people that struggle with OCD tendencies talk to you, and you give them counsel, you show them hope in the Lord. Here's what they'll say: "But, but you know what? I bet I didn't explain to you my situation." And and they will they will step out of the way of your biblical ministry so that it doesn't stick. Because they've concluded they've not communicated to you perfectly, so your perception of them is inaccurate, so your counsel doesn't work. Is that? It, it, it's, it's hard to wrap your, your brain around this, but that, that's part of what happens. Or committing the unpardonable sin, or um, the, the fear that I didn't confess every sin before night. So I stay up all night confessing everything, and I, I'm not omniscient, so I, I just stay up all night, you know, praying that God will show me more of my sin, because if I don't confess it all, then I can't rest. Or hoarders, which is the fear of throwing something away. Um, and, and that's interesting with hoarders because... Um, I, I know, you know, reality t- reality TV takes a lot of advantage to OCD strugglers, doesn't it? Think of how much reality TV is, is intersecting. I, know, I don't watch reality TV, but, you know, you see commercials and stuff. But, so the hoarding thing, right? Here's the fear. I find some old something in my backyard, and I find it, and it, it's a rusty piece of trash. And I'm going to throw it away... And then I think, you know what? This belonged to somebody. What if they come back and say, hey, I lost this back in, you know, 1969, and, and, and then they, they want to sue me because I had it and I threw it. That's the kind of things they think about. So anyway, so that gives you a little bit of an idea. If you've never had any exposure to this, that, and, and can I just say this? I'll confess my sin. The first time I heard some of this, I'm like, this is a joke, right? you you would not believe the turmoil that people who struggle with this sort of thing go through this is real this is life dominating this this is the thing they think about 24 hours a day 7 days a week and it's very hard for them not to think about it so this is this is real stuff guys okay in all of these situations follow me on this okay the person fears suffering not so much from the fear being fulfilled. Listen to me on this. The, the 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 horrible thing is not just that the fear might be realized, but what that's going to mean for their conscience. I can't live with myself if my house were to burn down. I can't live with myself if I were to actually, um, you know, because I didn't totally clean every germ in my house, my two-year-old gets sick and ends up in the hospital. I couldn't live with myself. So it's a guilty conscience that they're running from. Uh, a guilty conscience that obviously is reacting uh, beyond the word of God, certainly. Certainly. But, but it's, it's, you need to get this. It's a fear of a condemning conscience that's really the bottom line in most cases. So a hoarder might fear an ailing conscience accusing him that he will be a bad steward if he discovers in the future that he needs an item that he has been thrown away. Well, that was, that was money horribly spent because, you know, I had to buy a new one when I had a perfectly good one that I threw away. An obsessor might feel condemned because he believes that he has not comprehensively been honest in communicating a simple thought to someone else. Then he spends up all night condemning himself as a liar. A checker might fear the condemnation associated with the thought of his house burning down because he left the stove on, even though he checked it, you know, 93 times. Um, okay, does that make sense? So that we're just trying to understand this. The mental distress caused by the thought of overwhelming guilt, or excuse me, the mental distress is caused by the thought of overwhelming guilt if the fear were to be realized. So it's fear, but it's how fear and guilt in the conscience play out that, that's the enemy here, That that's... That's the main deal. Okay, questions on that? that? That's a way too brief summary of what we're talking about. Does that mostly make sense? Okay, so, so two of the factors, so what Brent Osterberg and I did is we, we took kind of everything from scrupulosity, OCD, and, and our case histories and whatnot, and we try to line it up into a series of topics that you and I are going to be conversant with and skilled at addressing in OCD cases. Okay, so my my two assignments tonight are to talk about uh, the idolatry of certainty and the challenge of introspection. Okay, so let's talk about this. In OCD, what you're typically seeing in many cases is the idolization of certainty. Certainty becomes the functional God who they strive to worship, who they are worshiping in in, in that way. Um, And and it's mission impossible, right? This is mission impossible. You know why idolizing certainty like every other idol in life is mission impossible? Because you can't have certainty. Just like you can't have lasting peace in a relationship. Just like you can't have lasting happiness in an addiction. Just like you can't have lasting contentment in financial provision. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's impossible, It's an impossible mission. So on your notes there, strugglers idolize, long for, and pursue certainty as the sole relief from the anxiety they experience due to an intrusive thought or fear, but they never truly arrive at the peace because certainty is never fully possible. Um, you know, pets are really fun to have. They're really fun to mess with. Um, we were watching a... Um, It's like America's Funniest Home Videos or something like that. You ever ever seen the the videos with the cat with the laser pointer? You know, and it's like, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this. Or, you know, some dog goes plowing into the mirror over and over because they're seeing the dog and they just keep plowing into the mirror. And that's OCD. It's illusion. And you keep going after it and going after it and going after it and going after it. uh, But this is not entertainment. This is not a laughing matter. This is how people really get stuck in living their life. So think think with me about this, just just some areas of certainty that, that people tend to idolize. Certainty about their spiritual condition or salvation. Now, is that a good thing to have some certainty about? It is. But here's the thing. If you put assurance of salvation into the lens of OCD struggle, you will never get assurance of salvation because they're pursuing assurance of salvation, which I believe you can have as a believer, but they're pursuing it in the wrong way. So again, it's, it's the cat chasing the laser. You're, you're, you're never gonna, it's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You're never going to get to it. Certainty about their own innocence regarding an intrusive thought. In one of the cases that I worked on, that was the, that was the issue. Uh, this person would have really intrusive, horrible thoughts of the most wicked sins you could think of. And the distress was, is that me? Am I capable of that? I don't want to be capable of that. I don't want to do that. And and one of the things they don't see is the thing that they most fear doing is the, the reason they're distressed about it is that they hate it so much and they would never want to do it. So it's like this. It's like this. You're chasing chasing their tail kind of thing. Um, Certainty about their own honesty in sharing a struggle with others. Like I said, these are people that are always feeling like a liar because their communication is not perfect. Uh, it's certainty about being germ-free. Um, oh, my goodness. And, and we can take what's happened in COVID. We can take that what's going on in, in the world where we have technology. We know more than we, we've ever known about all these things. We have more interventions than we've ever had but, and, and while we're grateful for the health that many of those things bring, for a lot of people, they get locked up in this idea that I have to eradicate any possibility that I'm going to get sick or experience some sort of ill health. And, and they, 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 just, they wear themselves out trying to be germ-free. It's mission impossible. You know what? You're never going to be germ-free. You're just not. Your house is never going to be germ-free. Whatever the product says you're using, whatever, it's never going to be. In a broken world, guys, certainty is not possible in ourselves or in our circumstances. Certainty about knowing that everything is in its place so I can rest. This is mission impossible because it leads to a cycle of frustration, discouragement, burnout, depression, hopelessness, and exhaustion. What happens is the person gets so caught up in the obsessive-compulsive cycle, that that becomes the only thing they do. They pull away from relationships because relationships complicate it. They're not being faithful to all these other responsibilities that God would have them for. You know, Maybe they've got a family. Well, they're not dialed in with their family. Maybe they've got a job. They're not dialed into their job. They're supposed to be doing schoolwork. They're not doing schoolwork because this is where they're stuck. And by the time they get to the place that there's a little bit of relief, they're so exhausted, all they want to do is go to bed. And they don't want to wake up because as soon as they wake up, it all starts over. So a lot of times these folks are are people that are sleeping long hours of the day because at least when they're sleeping, they have some relief. If they can get to sleep, that's a whole other issue. So here's the question. If you have Psalm 37, and and this is really the bottom line, guys. Don't you love how the scripture just simplifies things? This is a complicated deal. and, And this took me a long time. When I in, in working with people, it really took me a long time to really understand it because it has so many different little nuances and features, and every every person's going to be a little bit different. It's really hard to get your arms around. But, but but here's what I've discovered, okay? You don't have to necessarily be an expert on all of this to help somebody. Sometimes the way to help is not by looking at the line that's crooked and looking at all the different ways that those lines are crooked. Sometimes the best way to help somebody is to draw a straight line and say, where are you leaning? And the Bible just simplifies very complicated. Do you know it's okay in the put-off, put-on process to start with put-on? You know it's okay to do that? So Sometimes I, I see this with, with my students, my students. My, uh, the guys at Masters University that, that, I, that I work with, um, they're like on an idol hunt. You know, got to find the idol, got to find the idol, got to put it in the chart. And, and that's good, right? We, we need to find the idols, we need to examine the heart, we need to do all that. But sometimes with a complicated situation, you, you spend 8, 12, 15 sessions trying to figure out the idol, and it's like, can we talk about righteousness? Can we talk about what it means to follow Jesus? And And, and sometimes, guys, the best defense is a strong offense, isn't it? Let's just talk about what it means to walk with God. Let's walk, talk about what it means to lean on Christ and take your thoughts captive. And, and here's the thing. You will discover all the areas that person needs to put off better sometimes by talking about what the put-on side needs to look like. And, and actually, you, you test me on this. Look in the Bible. You'll find the lists given both ways. Yeah, Paul in Ephesians and Colossians starts with put-off, then goes to put-on. You'll find it both ways all throughout the Bible. Read the Proverbs. Sometimes you get the good thing to do and the bad thing to put off in reverse order. So I don't know that there has to be that chronology there. But anyway, so where do you lean? Scripture consistently calls people to rely on God for their well-being, not everything else. And the Bible has all sorts of ways that it does this. Let me give you a few of them. We read it in Psalm 37. You ready? Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Wow. Wow how different would our lives be if we did that? How about this? Trust. Psalm 115.11 says it three different times. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. You who fear Him, trust in the Lord. There's other metaphors. One of my favorites. Where do you take refuge? Uh, We talked about this, I think, think, uh, uh, recently. I love Nahum. God is the storm. God is like the storm coming in judgment. He's full of vengeance and wrath on His enemies. And He's coming uh, to take His great judgment seat to judge the living and the dead. And then chapter 1, verse 7, as we picture God coming in His judgment, pictured like this storm, this hurricane, this tornado, this, this thunderstorm, Nahum says this, but remember the Lord is good and He's a stronghold in the day of the storm. And how blessed are those who take refuge in him? That's a great metaphor, isn't it? Taking refuge in God, and that protects me. Notice he doesn't say, um, "Go to God and he'll fix the storm." I mean sometimes he does that, but he says, "Take refuge in me, and you'll be okay even though the storm's blowing right over you, right? So, so rest, trust, take refuge. Uh, and you're, you're going to be humming the hymn for the rest of the night. Lean. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord in all of your heart and do not lean on your own. Isn't that a great picture? You're all, we're all leaning on something. Uh, and, and Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, the divinely inspired uh, wisdom says, you know what our favorite false wall is that we like to lean on? It's our own understanding. And so, what does he say? Um, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your understanding. How do we do that? In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Bring Him into every thought, every moment, every experience. It's Psalm 16. I put the Lord continually before me. He's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. You get the idea. Not versus versus self, right? So, so that, that's that's so important to see that this 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 tendency for certainty. Is, is is it's not a bad desire people are just leaning on the wrong wall need to they need to and we'll get to that i'm getting ahead of myself strugglers need i love this little metaphor I, I said it a moment ago unhitch the wagon of their own well-being from a self-generated certainty and re-hitch it to the certainty found in a faithful kind good all-knowing heavenly father you can have certainty listen to me you can have certainty but it is a derived certainty in a faithful God, you see the difference? Um, you say, okay pastor keith that 's great theology. How on earth do we do that with somebody that 's hoarding and checking and cleaning, and how do we do that i 'm glad you asked let 's talk about that. You guys know romans twelve one and two um, it's about worship. It's, it's, it's a therefore passage, right? In light of the gospel, in light of union with Christ, in light of a new spirit and a new nature, and now, right, present your life to God as a living sacrifice, acceptable to God. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, right? So we know that passage. What does that look like? For somebody that's struggling with OCD. Let me give you a few things we need to meditate on. This this will change their life, okay? We can know things truly without knowing them exhaustively. Just think about that. Think if we had to have divine omniscience to be certain about something. Well, we wouldn't have a Bible because guess what? Have you noticed this isn't exhaustive? But it is sufficient. So what does that do? It means we can have certainty. We can know something truly. We can know it accurately. We can know it sufficiently without having exhaustive knowledge of that. Um, if you want to do a deep dive in that, go back and dig up D. A. Carson's book, "The Gagging of God," when postmodernism was first coming into the uh, latter half of uh, the century last a few years ago. Um, uh, and, and remember the emergent church movement and all that. And this is one of those doctrines that the emergent church misunderstood. We can't know anything. We can never have certainty because we don't know everything. Well, God says you can have certainty by knowing something sufficiently, although not exhaustively. And, and so that, that's, that's an area they need to renew their mind. Here's another area. There's a difference between sincerity and perfection. You say, what do we mean by that? Well, Let's just look a few of these, at a few of these for a moment. Turn with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I like this because um, it... Uh, as Paul picks up his pen to write to Timothy, remember he's left him in Ephesus. Timothy's trying to get a, a handle on some of the false teachers going on there as he is one of the, the pastor elders. And, and I love how he just simplifies things again as he, as he begins his, his letter here. Uh, when when there's a lot going on, when things are complicated, sometimes it's good to just start with the basics, right? Verse 5. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Um, Do you see anything in that passage about perfection? No, it's not there. The goal of what we're trying to do in this thing called Christianity is not perfection. Perfection is called heaven in this life it's what what does he say a, a pure heart a good conscience and a sincere faith and he's going to spend the rest of the book telling you how we move in that direction so so the point is sometimes what ocd sufferers are doing is they're they're locking onto this idea that if i'm not perfect it all doesn't matter instead of saying I, I can make a sincere effort at something, and even though it's far from perfect, it's acceptable to God insofar as it aligns with the moral will of God. Uh, and that, again, that, that's important because, and we'll talk about this in a minute, the, the idolization of perfection. Perfectionism is usually something that goes along with OCD. Um, but sincerity is what we're looking for. Isn't it great? Okay, let's just, let's just do this exercise. I didn't, This is not me that Martin Luther said this. I'll give you the Keith Palmer translation though, okay? Um, our best efforts at righteousness as a Christian are miserably, hopelessly tainted with imperfection. And our Heavenly Father accepts them because we're united to His Son. And Luther talked about how God sanctifies even our efforts so that they're acceptable to our Heavenly Father. You know, a lot of us had kids, you have grandkids, you know, and you know, they're trying to do something for the first time. You know, They're drawing a picture of the house and you're going, oh, that's my house, I didn't recognize it. You know, um, They're trying to ride their bike the first time, they fall off three times. What do you say? Good job, right? We do that all the time. We don't look at the perfection of the effort, we look at the sincerity of the heart's. And our Heavenly Father, through our union with Christ, sanctifies our works so that they are acceptable to Him, though they lack perfection in and of ourselves. Oh, they need to hear that in terms of doctrine and renewing the mind. Number three, only God knows everything perfectly. Psalm 139, I I can't tell you how much time we spend in Psalm 139 in some of these case studies. Um, You know me, right? You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you know my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my my going out, my my lying down. Right? Um, you know my words even before I speak them. Uh, Behold, O Lord, you know it all. Um, so thus, He alone is the only reliable foundation for certainty. So you you can have certainty, but it's a derived certainty in the omniscience and perfection of our heavenly Father. So it's not. I create a wall and lean on it for certainty, it's I lean on the only wall that is perfect, that is certain, that is uh, omniscient. And isn't that... And again, th- think of a small child. You know, and we do this with our kids and our grandkids when they're little, right? You know, when, uh, when we go to the doctor and, and there's some you know, intervention that happens that we, we could explain all the medical technology, we could explain how the medicine works, we could explain whatever... And the kid would sit there going... But it's enough to hold that child and love on him and say, I know you don't understand. You need to trust your father. Because I love you. That's certainty for a Christian. It's not understanding omniscience. We're not going to do that. And you know what? Don't even try because it's exhausting. What's the psalm that says... I don't spend all my time thinking about things too wonderful for me. But I'm a wean, like a weaned child. Oh, there's wisdom in that, isn't there? We're just wean children resting in our Father. And, and I, I don't want to go on rants. I really don't. But sometimes I wonder if all the knowledge that we have so easily at our, disposable, our, our disposal is actually moving us away from God and not toward Him. As useful as that can be at times, right? So we need to be careful with that. Pride says, I have to know for myself. Humility says, I can only rest in the certainty of my God. It is a cloaked, covert form. But OCD is driven by pride. And we need to renew our mind in thinking that. These are all ways we need to renew our minds. Perfectionism. We talked about this. Perfectionism represents what? A a misguided focus on self, a trust in one's own performance rather than the merits of Christ, a graceless pursuit of Christian obedience, and a misplaced foundation for well-being. I'm not trying to step on your toes. It's just, that's how it is, right? So some practical steps here, guys. Just kind of, let's put all this together Mind renewal is so important. Practical steps: What are some things that I found helpful in helping sufferers to move away from a misplaced certainty, and, and instead to rest in an omniscient and perfect heavenly Father? You guessed it, right? Meditate on the character of God, especially His sovereignty, His omniscience, His faithfulness, and His goodness. Scriptures: You guys know scriptures to do that. Uh, a. W. Um, uh, excuse me, um, uh, uh, A. W. Tozer and What are the the initials? Is it A.W. Pink? Are they the same? That's weird. It's like I never realized that. I put them side by side and I had like brain lock there for a minute. Yeah, go read Pink and Tozer. And, and, And if Pink and Tozer are too high altitude, Sproul's book on the character of God is really, really good and it's a little bit more palatable. Some other practical steps. Regularly rehearse the truths of the gospel regarding the sufficiency of Christ and the resolution of guilt. OCD sufferers in some way or another are not resting in the sufficiency of Christ for their guilt. And you cannot beat that drum loud enough or long enough. Um, I find the Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent along with key scriptures to be very effective for that. A lot of work needs to be done there. Number three, intentionally replace a prideful, self-focused certainty manufactured by one's own rituals with the humble, Christ-focused certainty in His character and promises and work. And we'll talk about put-off, put-on here in a minute, but you can see how we're, we're trying to get at the pride and humility part of it here. Again, scriptures are good for that. I think Bridges Trusting God, there's some really good material there. This is the advanced class, so I'm not, I'm not spelling everything out in detail, but you guys can take it and, and run with that. And then I think you need to identify areas where fears and certainties have caused neglect of God-commanded duties. For example, I should be shepherding my children and instead I'm cleaning my house again. Or I'm avoiding relationships in ministry because if I go outside, I expose myself to way more triggers to start this process. So I just don't go outside anymore. I just don't go to church anymore. I don't have relationships anymore. Now, in secular counseling, one of the most common therapies for OCD is something called exposure therapy. And exposure therapy, as the name implies, is... We're just going to find ways to expose you to whatever the intrusive thought or fear is. Now, now hear me, That this is not what I'm advocating here. Not, not exposure theory. In fact, I don't recommend that. that. That can be horribly misguided. What I'm talking about here is biblical replacement. I'm not being faithful in what God tells me to do because in some way there's some fear in that. And it is good to take a step of... Trusting obedient, trusting in God' obedience to go do what God's told me to do, and go against my fear. That's a good thing to do. Um, so it might be go to church, talk to people. It 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 might be, it might be oh, I, I, that's too personal. I won't say that. Um, just you need to work on that, okay? Um, and then uh, repent and start obeying as you rely on Christ. Okay, it's 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 Christ reliant obedience. Stop hyper-researching fear-related topics and the compulsions that go with them and spend that time. Think of what Bible scholars we would have. Think of what what renewed minds we would have if we spent a fraction of that time hyper-researching all these things as a compulsion. Instead, I'm, I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus with all that time. That's the need, right? Meditating on truth, leaning on Christ, and uh, just starting out, people will not like it if you tell them to do that. Y- you will not believe the fight that that is sometimes, but that, that's what feeds it. That's what feeds it. Let me just give you one really practical example of putting off and putting on, and then I need to uh, very quickly take you through introspection. So how about this? What if I accidentally left the stove on and my house burns down? What if I missed a spot while cleaning and my children get sick? Put on, God is in control. I can trust Him. I can never achieve blank, safety, health, security, on my own. I can only rest in Him. That sounds simple. You might spend weeks, months trying to help them to walk in that. But that's where they need to go. Leaning on the right place. I won't be able to live without myself and the guilt of knowing that I blank. How about this? I'm already guilty of so many other actual sins that I will never fully realize the extent of my real guilt. Ironically, this is the pride part. It's not that they feel badly about themselves too much; it's that they don't feel badly about themselves enough about the right things. Do you see? Does that make sense? Kind of. It, it's, a, it's a twisted logic, but that's really what's at the core of it. How about this? But Christ is a sufficient Savior. He is a sufficient. Savior, for any and all guilt. He resolved all of my guilt in his death and resurrection. Because I trust in him, there is no condemnation. You know what the number one verse that, that the guys I've worked with have found helpful? Romans 8 1. A lot of mileage on Romans 8 1. Easy to quote, hard to believe in moments of temptation. Okay. Um, let's talk uh, introspection. This, this is shorter and we started a little bit late, so let me see what I can do here, okay? Um, introspection. This is the second thing we talk about. Introspection just means thinking about yourself. God commands the believers gauge, engage in godly introspection. We know this, right? Um, this includes asking God to search and examine our hearts, examining, taking our thoughts captive, testing ourselves to see if we are believers, uh, heeding the alerts of our conscience, thinking of what is true, watching over our hearts, renewing our minds, rehearsing the gravity, wickedness, and consequences of sin on the way to repentance, confessing sin to God and to others. Okay. Now, godly introspection is meant to bring conviction, godly sorrow, repentance, and trust in Christ for forgiveness and change. And you guys are advanced, so you know that that's true, and those verses support that claim. Okay? Here's the problem. Introspection can go terribly wrong if it doesn't do that godly introspection moves me toward christ not away from him and what happens in ocd is a person gets caught in the wrong kind of introspection what i'm going to call an ungodly introspection you say what does that look like ungodly introspection takes several forms um Things like this, and this is what people are thinking in their minds over and over and over. Did I experience any pleasure in that horrible intrusive thought about that wicked thing? And just hours and hours and hours digging and analyzing and digging and analyzing. Did I enjoy that thought in any way? Am I capable of doing that in any way? Turmoil as they try to, because what they're trying to do is convince themselves that they didn't have any pleasure in that, and if they can do that, then they can rest. What were my real motives or intentions? And hours and hours and hours, what did I really mean? Why did I say that? I was talking to to one guy and and, uh, he was talking about how, um, you know, he's he's at school and he's in the cafeteria and he just kind of, you know, there's a female student, he just kind of brushes up against her. And for days, weeks, was I trying to brush up against her? Was there some ill motive I had in brushing up against her? Would I have some sexual thing, right? And all it was, he bumped into her. But that's where this goes. Um, have I fully understood my heart? Uh, did I do everything to mitigate a negative consequence? Meaning, you know, I don't want to go to church tonight because, you know, I might I might have be carrying some germ because I didn't clean my house well enough today. And, and so I don't want to go to, you know, it's just, did I do everything to perfectly mitigate at negative consequence that I might get somebody sick? And did I perfectly communicate my intent? Have I confessed every and all sin? Could I have committed the unpardonable sin? Now, now some of these are, are not necessarily bad questions to ask, but it's, it's what they're being motivated by and where it's going that's the problem. So what are those two problems? Number one, it's not guided or informed by the gospel. Can we just say this? Any introspection is ungodly if it is not guided by the gospel. And second, it feeds and fuels the intrusive thoughts. So without the gospel, without a goal, without the gospel guiding it, all it's doing is it's feeding the fears and the intrusive thoughts. Okay, you ready for this? This took me a long time to figure out. I confess, but but it, it's, it's incredible. You know how you stop this? The way to kill an intrusive thought is by not dwelling on it. And here's what we do. I'll tell you, I've seen rookie biblical counselors, I've seen experienced biblical counselors, who, you know, well, you need to confess that. You need to repent that. You need to confess... If you tell an OCD sufferer that's doing this to confess and repent of sin, you are adding fuel to their fire. Yeah. And it seems counterintuitive. But one of the first things they do, it's like, you need to not confess. Not like this. You need to stop. And, and, and uh, it, it, oh, John Owen talks about this in mortification of sin. you got to starve this thing. And you know how you starve OCD, ungodly introspection? By not giving it a moment's attention. You don't look at it. You don't think about it. You dismiss it and you replace it. That's what you do. You dismiss it. and re- You get to the point where you say, that's an intrusive thought. I'm going to do this instead. That's an intrusive thought. I'm going to think on this instead. You, you, don't, you don't chase it. Now, there, there's a time for godly introspection. But that's like, that's like nine miles down the counseling marathon that you're doing with this OCD person. Because to undo the ungodly introspection first is the prerequisite to eventually teaching them how to do biblical introspection. But 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 it just getting them to... If you can get them to regularly dismiss it, you're making great ground. So how do we do that, Pastor Keith? You dismiss it. You don't engage them. You dismiss it. You don't engage them. And there, uh, there, there are all sorts of ways that I think you can help them with that. Let me give you some strategies. Um. Remind them, and this goes back to the renewing your mind uh, material, only confess clear actual sin, not potential sin, possible sin, or temptation. Uh, Guys that get involved in this, they're obsessed with confessing things they haven't actually done. They're confessing the possibility of doing something or acting on something. And it's like, you don't have to confess that. You're not responsible for that. Um... You know, you're confessing actual sin, not potential sin. Now, in OCD, usually the confession that is truly needed is confession of pride, self-focus, unbelief of the gospel, not the confession of the intrusive thought. Um, so their, their focus is all wrong. And then remembering that it's the sufficiency of Jesus. Listen to this, this. This is so important. It's the sufficiency of Jesus, not the thoroughness or perfection of the confession that brings forgiveness and cleansing, and the verdict of no condemnation. Praise the Lord that we don't have to do confession perfectly for Jesus to forgive us. <laughs> um, is this making sense? No, There's a lot to throw at you. Help him realize that he is more wicked than he knows, but Christ is still sufficient. Um, yes, we say that in counseling. Um, and we give homework assignments to help bring that about. That, um, what a small savior we have in our minds sometimes, don't we? But he is really sufficient. Be wise in crafting homework assignments that require inward reflection. You can see why this is obvious now, right? Be wise about doing that. Utilize external help such as a journal to keep godly reflection from morphing into internal introspective obsession do you see that one of, one of the ways you help them with this is you got to get them out of their head. so having a friend come alongside and help having a journal assignment having something they're writing down um, I'll give you a, an interesting example so um, one guy was telling me you know he's listening to a sermon and as he's listening to the sermon, he's like disconnecting from whatever the sermon's on about and, and different things about the sermon. He's running away with those intrusive thoughts, right? And he's, just, he's, he's not dialed in. He's, he's obsessing about some part of the sermon, hell or confession or judgment or whatever. And, and it was something as simple as taking thorough notes during the sermon helped him to stay focused and not let his mind drift off. So, so whether it's talking to a person, having some journaling... Uh, something external that, that, that keeps... Y- you want to help the battle happen outside, writing it down with a conversation, or, and, and get it from the battle being inside because they, they don't have the developed self-control to do it in their head just yet. Hopefully down the road, they'll develop that self-control. Um, And then this is the next advice, right? Engage a trusted friend, family member, or counselor to help the struggle or evaluate the appropriateness of the confession and introspection. But listen to this. Be careful because talking with someone can actually become an inappropriate compulsion. Where talking to people is the mitigating strategy to bring relief. So even then you want to limit who are they talking to, how much are they talking about, how long is the conversation going and this, I learned this the hard way. I mean, I I'm several weeks into a session, I'm like, I'm a compulsion. I'm not counselor. I'm a compulsion, and I'm realizing I got to do this different because because it was it was becoming very unproductive. Uh, start with rehearsing the gospel, guys. Uh, let godly introspection build from the gospel, be guided by the gospel, and lead to change that is fueled. By the gospel and help them to dismiss all other efforts at introspection until the gospel can be fully embraced. Um, some real practical stuff here. Establish a list of simple, righteous activities that can be pursued when the intrusive thoughts tempt the person toward introspection. So so they're they're walking along, intrusive thought comes, they have something simple, practical, and righteous they can immediately engage in. This is put off, put on in the sort of hand to hand combat combat of the day, right? I'll give you some ideas here. Some activities that can help. Rehearsing out loud a Bible verse, bringing up a Christian music playlist and listening to it, moving from isolation into community, engaging in a conversation that's unrelated to the intrusive thought. That's the key there. But this is put off, put on, because you're trying to break that cycle of the introspection or the the intrusive thought comes and they're immediately into introspection. That's the the cycle you're trying to break. So I I picture it like this. You're you're building an off-ramp. Right? You know, here's the highway that's established, intrusive thought, introspection, right? And you're building a, an off-ramp to some other righteous activities so that they will learn to just start taking the off-ramp and not staying on the highway of introspection. As the cycle of ungodly introspection wanes, develop more robust put-on assignments. I, I think start with simple things and then work up that establish new and better ways of dealing with the fears associated with intrusive thoughts. And uh, we don't have time to, to get into all that, but you just build on it, right? Um, minimize isolation and aloneness. Help the person live more in community. That's key. One of the cases that I started with, it started during COVID, during a lockdown. And believe it or not, it was the COVID isolation that helped fuel the onset of this. The, the person had never dealt with this sort of thing before, but it, it came on in COVID. Um, and uh, that was a big factor in praise the Lord, in that person's state. Uh, they, um, the restrictions changed, and so they were able to kind of get out a little more. Um, oh, that's off the, off the screen, but you got on your notes. Help the person immerse her mind in scripture. Intentional, frequent exposure to the truth is what renews a person's thoughts. Very similar to what we talked about with with needing certainty, right? The, the idolization of certainty, you're, you're not going to get a renewing of the mind. By, by Googling and researching and wasting all this time in conversation and research, uh, studying the things that trip you up, right? Um, and just some quotes that I found helpful along the way Spurgeon, J.C. Ryle. Most of you probably heard Robert Murray McShane for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. You know, that, that's, that's cliche. I mean, that's tweetable. But you know what? Practically speaking, that's life. To do that is life. So uh, anyway, um, well, I know, guys, that was the jet tour, but hopefully that, that was helpful in some way. And um, be praying for Brent and I as we try to put this together into something that, that really is, is comprehensive. But uh, uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for the sufficiency of Christ and, and the adequacy of your word and pray for people that struggle with these things. Even as we see uh, the heart of OCD in our own hearts, that, that you would help us to see the sufficiency of, of our great Savior, and that we would truly lean on Him and His certainty and the full atonement offered of the gospel, uh, that there really is no condemnation. Uh, We're so grateful for that. Help us to live that and believe it and help others to see it as well. In Christ's name, amen.